Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Karsten Tim, founder and CEO of Pivot.io. Carson, how are you doing today? I'm great. Uh, thanks for making some time to to connect. Yeah, vice versa, same thing. So tell me about uh, Pivot Bio. What what do you guys do there? What's the uh, whole whole goal of the company? Well, we're making a, a probiotic for crops that they have a a better way to obtain all of the nutrients they need for growing. Okay, when you say crops, I mean there's many different kinds of crops and nutrients. You know, there's a vast span of nutrients. Why would uh, crops need probiotics? I mean, I guess there's nitrogen-fixing bacteria that, by definition, are vital in order for crops to grow. But, you know, what does it look like for uh, for a plant? What kind of microbes does it need? Well, you you just hit the nail on the head, which is, you know, to for a plant to grow, there are three essential things it needs, sun, water, and nitrogen. And, and then there are additional nutrients and, you know, I... Uh, a range of other minor components, but those big three are, are critical. You can't grow a, a plant without sun, water, and nitrogen. And uh, uh, and the world, we use uh, about 8% of the world's energy to be able to produce nitrogen on an industrial scale. So the majority of the world's uh, plants don't have the ability to capture nutrients, um, specifically nitrogen, from microbes. Um, some plants, like legumes, have a symbiosis that uh, that relies on microbes to be able to produce nitrogen for the crop. 
but right. for all all the rest of the uh, crops of the world, especially the the cereal crops that provide over half of the world's dietary energy, uh, so crops like corn, wheat, and, and rice, uh, the microbes that have that capability that are naturally part of their microbiome uh, have have lost that capability of being able to produce nitrogen for the the plant. Wow, they lost it. What do you mean? Well, before we had fertilizer, uh, those microbes were actively contributing and producing nitrogen for um, for the cereal crops. And that was a, a symbiosis that had evolved over billions of years. Um, but we learned how to breed crops to be more productive. And as we bred um, these crops to be bigger and generate higher yields, uh, that nutrient need outstripped the pace of evolution. And, and we as, as humans uh, realized that you could add manure or um, bird guano or eventually industrially produced ammonia to a field to be able to supplement a, a deficiency, a, a gap between the nitrogen that could be produced by the microbiome and, and the requirements by plants that had been bred to be more productive. Once we started doing that, all of that added exogenous nitrogen is like a, a negative feedback loop. It, it turns off the capability in the microbiome itself. So all those microbes um, go dormant. The, the genetics that encode that capability are silent in their genome. So they've essentially become part of the dark genome. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've heard about that with, um, you know, when people take certain supplements, if you take too much of them, you know, if you take steroids, testosterone, that kind of thing, your body stops producing it. So you're saying the same thing has, has happened with uh, artificial fertilizer. These, these microbes right. that used to produce this stuff no longer do? Yeah, fertilizer's been been a, a a boon for being able to produce more food for the world, but that that is the negative repercussion um, that we have uh, we have inadvertently turned off biology's own process of making nitrogen for the cereal crops. Hmm. So, what uh, did you have to engineer microbes back to their previous state, or did you find examples of them that still do produce nitrogen, or how did you uh, figure this out? Well, it, it's it's probably one of the toughest problems to solve in agriculture, and so we've we've had to overcome a, a number of challenges in getting to where we are. And and the first of those was being able to rediscover these rare microbes that have that capability. And and that means being able to go back into the natural microbiome of the of the crop and and find those microbes which have the genetics that have have gone dormant. And after we find those microbes, um, these are microbes that haven't been part of an industrial process before. You know, they're not the microbes that have been studied by scientists for the last century. So we bring those into the lab and, and learn how to, how to grow them, how to be able to transform them into products and, and return them back to the field for farmers to use. And in the process, uh, we also reactivate those genes. So um, reinvigorate the microbes to be able to, uh, to produce that nitrogen again for the crop. I mean, there's got to be tons of plants out there that are, you know, partnering with nitrogen-fixing uh, bacteria. I mean, what, what you, I'm sure there's examples out there. Have you looked at those, or how do you find these microbes again? Well, every plant has a, a microbiome that is very closely associated with its roots. So in, in every cubic centimeter of soil, there are trillions of microbes. And as a plant's uh, root system grows, it self-selects a very limited number of microbes um, to have a close symbiosis. And for every plant on the world, a small subset of, of that selected microbiome retains the capability to produce nitrogen for the crop. 
the challenge is really to to start with trillions of microbes in the soil and and be able to identify those rare few that still retain the ability to live in symbiosis with a crop and and have the the genetics to produce nitrogen in their genome. So what percentage of the the food of the world would be affected if we stopped using fertilizer on it? Well, if if we had to stop using fertilizer today, uh, mm. we would lose out on about half of the the world's uh harvest this growing season. So half the world's food is is entirely dependent on on that supply of nutrients from fertilizer. Wow. Um, do we have abundant supplies of the fertilizer? Is there any uh, worry that the fertilizer will go away? Or you know, what are I mean, maybe it's obvious and stupid, but what are the reasons why you'd want to uh, create bacteria again that can do their own nitrogen fixing? Well, we, we've been become very good at producing fertilizer. It's it's a commodity that that is routinely traded and produced around the world, and and that's that's one of the reasons we have uh, a a relative. Uh, abundance of food and a very uh, accessible uh, set of food prices in many parts of the world. The challenge, though, is is really twofold. And um, first, from a farmer's perspective, there are a number of inefficiencies in being able to use fertilizer. That means if you could rely on a biological source of of nitrogen rather than the chemical synthetic, you could better improve both your uh, top-line revenue on the farm and your bottom line ex- and, and be more profitable and also have more assurity in a consistent yield from a consumer's perspective and, and from a, um, a global perspective. The inefficiencies of using chemical fertilizer often translate to sustainability uh, challenges related to nitrogen. So globally, about 80% of the fertilizer that's used in agriculture turns into pollution. In the U.S., the pinnacle of efficient agricultural system, between 30 and 40% of our fertilizer that we use in commodity crops becomes fertilizer. So that's that's a, a, a huge inefficiency because it's turning into nitrate pollution in our water system or nitrous oxide uh, that is a greenhouse gas 300 times more potent than carbon dioxide. Well, why do we have to over-fertilize? Why is it more efficient to just to have the bacteria that uh, that produce the nitrogen themselves? Well, I, the one of the difficulties with using synthetic fertilizer is I, it's something that you need to be able to drive a tractor through a field to add the fertilizer to the field. And because of weather conditions and constraints on uh, not wanting to drive over your plants in the middle of the, the season, we're, we're limited at in the time frame when we can apply that fertilizer. And it, it means that we add fertilizer to a field uh, at a different time than when the plant actually needs those nutrients. And in that intervening time frame, it's exposed to the elements, it's exposed to snow or rain, and, and all of the, those elements can uh, wash away the fertilizer or transform its chemical form to something that, uh, that's not accessible by the plant. So the biology, the microbes, that symbiosis with the root system means that they uh, live and grow with, with the plant, and it's really a, a spoon-feeding of nitrogen on a daily basis um, that perfectly can match the, the demand of, of the plant and, and maximize the efficiency of production of the nutrient consumption. So why did people start using fertilizer in the first place? Did it boost yields in the beginning, or was it... Uh it allow plants to grow in places they wouldn't normally grow without with, with no soil preparation? A little bit of both of those. And and it's really uh, by being able to breed crops to be more productive, um, 
that that was such a boon for producing more food for the world, but it 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 also meant that we began to outpace the evolution between the crop and its microbiome, and the microbes are are no longer able to supply as much nitrogen that crop needs. You know, they couldn't keep up with the crop. So the the fertilizer we use is is really a great way to supplement that uh, that difference. Yeah, so how is your product different? How is it used? Are you culturing mass amounts of bacteria and adding them to a substrate to make the fertilizer, and then traditionally fertilizing as people do, or you know how does your product work? The the thing we've done is uh, is produce microbes that uh, in the first version of our product uh, generate about 20% of the nitrogen that a corn crop requires. And we deliver them to the farmer either as a jug of liquid that gets added uh, to the field as you plant your seeds. Um, so dripped along the, the furrow next. Or um, we can coat the seeds with the microbes, almost like a candy-coated M&M shell. And in both cases, the microbe is present as soon as the first roots develop. And then uh, that kickstarts the symbiosis being planted microbe. And what um, uh, what happens is uh, by being able to produce about 20% of the, the plant's nitrogen, it fills in the gaps where it, it helps complement any sort of shortcoming or deficiency from the chemical fertilizer that a, a farmer uses today. It also allows them to reduce how much uh, chemical fertilizer they use by, by that 20%. And then what we're continually doing is improving how much nitrogen these microbes produce so that a, a second generation of our product, we're forecasting that it's going to produce about half of the nitrogen the crop needs. Yeah, and, oh, wow. uh, and we envision a, a third version of the product that ends up replacing all of that for huh. And what, what are your target crops? The, the things that we're focused on first are corn and wheat and rice. Um, those three crops are responsible for uh, utilizing almost half of the world's fertilizer. And uh, they also have such a huge impact when it comes to uh, the commodity crops of the world and, and ultimately turning into animal feed that that nearly 40% of the world's dietary energy traced back to and linked to those crops. So we, we can have a really big impact in the world by being able to change how we fertilize those three crops uh, and then from there um, further develop our products for the rest of the world's agriculture. Okay. Uh, are you in... Uh commercial use yet that's being used or are you still in the testing phases? It's a really exciting time because we're uh, at the last step before launching our first product and and this year is our equivalent of a, a beta test with the initial early adopting customer. So just a few weeks ago we announced a, a, a program we call the Intent to Pivot program and and it's uh, where we've generated our first commercial product and, and we're allowing early adopting farmers to beta test. So uh, we're getting their feedback throughout the year, and and that will allow us to be able to to use this year as a launch pad for the first commercial release of the product. What about um, genetically modified crops, corn, that kind of stuff? Is there any um, conflicts where your fertilizer wouldn't be allowed to be used and the fertilizer a given company has to be used along with their seed? Or is that not a problem for you? I, you know, it's it's something that I think we can improve uh, the fertility practices across the agricultural system. And and one thing I, I think is a, a possibility in the future is that I, there may be a, a reason to look at the sustainability footprint of uh, every acre or, or every field. And it might lead to some reasons why a product like ours is more desirable than conventional types of fertilizer. So it, it 
it's definitely something where, especially at the state level, there are uh, there's growing political pressure to be able to better protect the waterways and, and environment and the, the link back into some of the uh, the sustainability footprint of agriculture. So we're really uh, intent on working with with governments and with uh, with uh, the progressive farmers of the world to to find the best way to implement our products and and also. I have a pretty forward-looking view on on their impact on sustainability. Are, are there any um, seeds or products that you know, corn products? Are there seeds that uh, your product doesn't appear to work with? Are there any stumbling blocks you've had? One of the things that we were concerned about when we first started developing the product was just how robust these microbes would be. Um, would they work across all the different types of fields, or would they work under a, a range of weather conditions? And we've actually been pleasantly surprised in, in what we've learned. Um, we, we tend to find that uh, everywhere we test our microbes, in every combination of, uh, of field and the commercial seeds we use, the symbiosis between the plant and microbe is, is very, very strong and robust. And, uh, and we actually see that, that the same performance of the product exists everywhere. And and it's less dependent on the environment or or the type of field you use it in, and more dependent on the plant itself. Or that 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 symbiosis is a a strong relationship. Well, that's good. Yeah. All right. Very good. So, um, <clears throat> what's the best way for uh, interested parties to to get in contact with you and to find out if um if your microbes can help their particular crop? Well, if anybody wants to learn more, uh, always check out our website. It's pivotbio.com. And from there, it's uh, easy to be able to find ways to get in touch with us. Uh, also, easy to find us on social media, whether it's uh, Twitter or LinkedIn. Um, and and I, I think we really just want to open the door towards anybody who wants to have a, a deeper connection to agriculture, microbiome, um, being able to adopt some new technologies to have a a more um, a, a more productive agricultural system with a longer-term view on on the the global sustainability of our food production. Oh, uh, one other question I forgot to ask you: Have you yeah. analyzed the nutritional content of the crops that are grown with you know your probiotics versus uh, just traditional fertilizer? You know, that's something that we're consistently looking into um, more and more. And and one of the things we want to do is make sure that. Uh, that what we're able to do is is produce the same type of a commodity crop that um, that there's never a, a case where using our product would um, would create a, a nutrient deficiency and uh, and and now we're we're starting to look at ways that uh, that we can even um, produce a better crop um, so we've got a a pretty strong track record being able to show that we're a a good replacement for fertilizer, and now we're trying to show and understand ways that that using our microbes can be a, a benefit to that crop. One of the things that we've seen is uh, there's growing evidence that the use of fertilizer changes the bulk composition of the soil or the microbiome in, uh, across the soil, and and using our product might have a, an indirect impact on the long-term health of our soils. Oh. You mean once you use the product in a given soil, they'll tend to keep those same microbes and may require less of it next time, or what's the implication? Well, one of the, the challenges with fertilizer is uh, it, it begins to influence which types of microbes uh, thrive in a soil. 
and it, it begins to select for microbes that uh, are able to consume fertilizer. And, uh, and in that process, it, it uh, has, has been implicated in reducing some of the microbial biodiversity within our soils. So uh, the, the thing we're t- starting to study a, a bit further in depth is how our microbes contribute to the overall soil health of a, a, a given field after you begin to use our product year over year. Hmm. Okay. Well, very good. Carson, thanks for coming on the uh, the show. It's a very interesting and niche area that I don't really know much about, but uh, some great info. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, thank you much. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.